I want to read to you verses, beginning in verse 14 down through verse 33. And before I read, let me remind you what we are about to experience. Uh, it's the blessed privilege of hearing our God speak to us. We firmly hold to the truth that Scripture itself proclaims that these are the very words of God. And so as we hear this word from the Lord, I pray that with great humility and with great joy, you would respond to the word in faith. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation." But as it stands written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while." But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints." so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Again, if you have your Bibles, uh, I trust that you're in Romans chapter 15. As we approach the uh, end of this book, we are moving from what is the deep doctrines of the faith into a very personal section of the book of Romans. Uh, it's something that I was just reflecting on as, our, I was, uh, as we were singing together 
how desperately I want you to get and understand the things that we're about to walk through. Uh, it's like going from a very heavy meal to the dessert as we walk in in 15 and 16. And, you know, you get to the end of things, you often just want to skip on through that and go on to the next book. But we've worked so hard over the last couple of years. I really want us to just sit down and enjoy dessert. And what I mean by dessert is it's just a very personal part of the text. Hence, that's why I'm sitting down this morning. I am trying even physically to be more personal with you as I, as I walk through these passages. If you understand the principles applied here, they will radically reshape your life. I want them to reshape your life. Uh, we've talked about them before. Uh, as I go through them, you'll go, yeah, we've, we've discussed this before, but we have a tendency to forget. And so I don't want you to forget what we're walking through um, this morning. And I, in fact, it could probably take me about three weeks to get through it. I wanted to start in verse 13. Um, you know, I've bumped on 13 a couple of times over the past few weeks. It's one of those passages that you really need to commit to memory. It defines for us what is the experience of the Christian life, which, by the way, is what I'm going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks, defining for you what is truly the life of a Christian. And he talks about the experience first in 13, but I, I came up here this morning and I just really felt impressed by the Lord to save that one until Easter. And so I said, okay, evidently I'm not um, finished with the Lord processing verse 13 in my heart enough. And so... Um, I plucked out about 20 minutes there right off the bat this morning and thought, okay, I've got more work to do in my heart with that. And so I wanted to go on then and, and pick up verse 14 and start with there. But you need to understand that for the life of a Christian, ministry goes hand in hand. Those two things are synonymous. There is no life in Christ apart from service to Christ, if that makes sense. There's no salvation without service. How can you say that you follow Christ and not be about the business of Christ? That makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, that's how I was raised. I remember that teaching in my church early on that salvation was separate from discipleship. You could profess Christ, but then later on in life begin to follow Christ. And hopefully I'll show you in the text this morning that nothing could be further from the truth. It's an absolute impossibility to take salvation from the Lord and not give yourself to the service of the Lord. And so that's what Paul's doing here. And so as we talk about the Christian life, I want you to understand we're talking about ministry. We're talking about service. It is truly what it means to have a life in Christ. Because you'll remember the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for you to raise your hand and say, I'm a Christian, is also to raise your hand and say, my life has been given to the service of Christ. That's exactly what that means. But let's start with the call here and the call to Christ, to salvation. But again, I'm not going to separate those two because we have the wonderful example of the Apostle Paul and both of those things take place simultaneously. That's what's beautiful about Paul being an example for the church. We see the call to Christ and the call to ministry taking place simultaneously. Now, if you remember, it, as with the rest of us, Paul's salvation was a total work of grace. We've worked hard over the last 10 years understanding that your salvation was totally a work of God. He didn't do all He was going to do and leave the rest up to you to choose Christ. 
It was a work of grace from beginning to end. And I've seen so many of you come to understand that truth and it just began to shape and change your life in so many wonderful ways. But you really see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you, here's some, some ways that he described himself. And you can find his testimony in a number of places in the Scripture. Acts 26 happens to be my favorite place. But he tells us what was going in, on in his life when he met Jesus. He said, I was locking up many of the saints in reference to those who profess Christ. I was locking those guys up in prison. He said, I was casting my vote to put them to death. He says, as I punished them often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. Can you imagine somebody so angry? And in fact, he goes on to say, I was furiously enraged at them. Not only did I want them arrested for their faith in Christ, I wanted to hear those sweet words where they put Jesus down and denied their faith in Him. They're like, man, that's a weird dude. He really was. He was violently, violently opposed to Jesus. He was on his way to Damascus to have men, women, and children arrested who profess faith in Christ, haul them to Jerusalem so that they could stand trial, be condemned in order that Paul might vote for their condemnation and death. That's, that's what he was doing. And he says, I was on the road to Damascus to do that very thing, just filled with anger and resentment for, toward Christ. And then he showed up in my life. Knocked him off his horse. Made him blind. He asked who it was, and the Lord says, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting, right? But then listen to the words of our Lord to him. He says, get up, stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only of the things which you have seen, but also to the things I'm going to show you. And by the way, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How's that for a salvation? And don't skip over the Gentiles. He's a Jew. I mean, if he hates Christians, you got to understand he has a passionate hatred for Gentiles. They're not following God. And so I'm going to pluck you out of your world and I'm going to put you in a world that you're radically opposed to and you're going to give your life in ministry and service to these whom I have loved. Your hatred is gone. I have filled your heart with love. Now go give your life for them and declare to them the glory of Christ and suffer along the way as you do it until I bring you home. Now how's that for the joining of a call to faith and a call to ministry? I mean, at what point are you going to draw a line in that testimony and separate those two realities? You, you can't. You can't find that place where he recited the sinner's prayer. You can't find that place where he said, okay, I accept Jesus into my heart, and then a few days later, okay, I'm getting into the gospel ministry. It never took place. One happened at the same moment that the other did. And so when we find ourselves in Romans 15, I want you to notice verse 15 with me because he, he talks about it. He mentions it briefly in his personal reflection. And then he goes on to talk a little bit about his ministry. But notice verse 15. He says, I have written to you very boldly on some points to remind you. He said, I, I needed to remind you of some things again. And 
Man, you could go back through, I thought, man, that would be a great thought to just walk back through Romans and go, Paul, what are you calling bold? I mean, you could start in Romans 1 and 2 where he told them that, and on into 3 where he said, you're just utterly depraved. Not a single solitary soul among you has ever sought for God. You know, that's a message that if you preach faithfully today, the church would deny. That's very bold words. That you don't even have it in you to accept Christ. You're not seeking for Christ. You don't have a love for God. You don't know God. You see, that's a pretty bold message. That's one that I get in trouble for. You could go on to 9 and 10 where he talks about the sovereignty of God and salvation. I think that's pretty bold. Nobody likes that very much either. There's a lot of things that we could walk through here in reference to what Paul called bold. But he said, this is what I've been doing. But notice why he's been doing it. Because of the grace that was given to me from God, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So here he is late in ministry and he's, he's, still, he's still reflecting, he's still communicating what the Lord told him that day on the, on the way to Damascus when the Lord called him to faith and called him into ministry. Much older now, he says, this, is, this has been my life. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. How about that? I never wavered from that in that moment. So he says in verse 19, if you'll skip down to verse 19, the second part, he says, so... From Jerusalem around about as far as Illyricum, I've fully preached the gospel of Christ. Thus I've aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. No, but as it stands written, I fulfilled prophecy in this. They who had no news of him, those Gentiles shall see him. And they who have not heard of him, that is Christ, those Gentiles shall understand. And notice verse 23. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have for many years a longing to come to you whenever I, I go to Spain, you're like, why are you going to Spain? Because nobody's been there to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so as long as there's Gentiles and as long as there's people who have not heard the good news of Christ, I still have somewhere to go. And so he says, I hope to see you in passing and, and actually to be helped on my way there by you when I first have enjoyed your company for a little while. But right now, verse 25, I'm going to Jerusalem to, to serve the saints. If you recall, if you remember that story from Acts, Paul had made it through the Gentile regions, the Macedonian re regions, and they were suffering from poverty. But yet, they felt impressed. Paul didn't put it in their heart. They felt impressed to take up money for the saints in Jerusalem, the Jews who professed faith in Christ, and because of their faith in Christ, they had lost their jobs, they had lost their homes, they were suffering persecution, they were doing without a great many physical needs, like food. And Paul said, hey, even though they were desperately poor, they wanted to help you guys out because they know that you're suffering greatly in Jerusalem. So those churches took up an offering and so... They gave it to me, so I'm headed down to Jerusalem, which would have been the very heart of Paul because he was always trying to reconcile Jew and Gentile. And he's thinking, man, look what these Gentiles have done for these Jews. When I get down here with this money for these guys, these guys are going to love these guys even more. 
And so Paul was like, yeah, I, I'm going down there now, but once I get finished with that, then I'm going over to Spain. And on my way to Spain to preach the gospel to Gentiles, I'm going to stop off in Rome and see all you guys that have been doing this thing as well. That, that's life. What a wonderful life. He spent the entirety of his life doing the very thing that God had called him to do. What a blessed privilege it is to just know that and to walk in that. But please don't mistake me. You're not Paul. I'm not Paul. There'll never be another Paul. We make this mistake in the church. I've noticed it since I was a kid, but I've come to understand it greater and greater. We create these positions. And then long about October, we try to fill those positions. And we put a burden on your heart, try to make you guilty to get into one of those positions. Man, that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about releasing people to do what God has impressed upon their hearts to do. That's what the church should be about. Because I know when you guys got called, you got commissioned. And I realize you may not have figured that out yet. I'll show you some ways other people figure that out yet. But I'm not one to stick you in a position. I'm the one that tries to release you to do what the Lord's burdened your heart to do. Somebody shared with my wife a great opportunity that the church needs to take up recently. I'm like, go get it. I'll support you any way that I can. I won't stand in your way. I don't want to take you and fit you here and fit you there and fit you there and then burden your heart to you need to do this because we got this position and we've already got this existing ministry and this person stepped out and I need you to step in. No, I'm not, I'm not about that. It, Paul wasn't about that. So please don't think, well, this, is, this defines ministry for you. No, this doesn't define ministry for me and it doesn't define ministry for you. It's just an example of what it's like to live for Christ. I got another great example for you. Look over in chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Oh, she has an entirely different ministry. You're like, who is this lady? I've never heard of her in my life. Well, this is the only time she's mentioned. And how's this for a like and subscribe? Paul says, I commend to you Phoebe. I'm like, let's go. I don't know who she is, but she's awesome. And when she came to faith in Christ, she picked up a ministry and she began to run with it. And you're like, what does it look like? I have no idea. Let me just read to you what I do know. She's a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea. What does that mean? I don't know. All I know is when God called her, she went to work in the church at Sincrea. And Paul says she's a servant there. And look at what else she says in verse 2. He says, Paul says, I want you to receive her in the Lord in a manner that's worthy of the saints. Of great honor, in other words. I want you to help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. Notice, for she herself has also been a helper of many, not to mention myself as well. Now, Phoebe doesn't look like Paul. She's not going to Jerusalem. She's not planning to go to Spain. But she is planning to get done what the Lord has called her and burdened her heart to do within the church. She is about that. And so we celebrate her life just as much as we celebrate the Apostle Paul. Because the grace of God that called Phoebe is the grace of God that called Phoebe to ministry and to the service of Christ. And by the way, there's this weird movement in the Reformed Church today. All these guys trying to put all these women at home. I mean, really? 
Uh, let me give you a rabbit trail. Go look up Lydia in the book of Acts and see what Lydia was up to. Or how about go look at the women who were following around Jesus who were working and helping fund part of our Lord's ministry. Yeah, you ladies have a lot to do at home, but please don't ever think that's where it stops. That's not where it stopped for Phoebe. And no, I don't know if she was married or if she had kids, and you do. And that's your primary ministry, and I'll talk more about that over the, either today or the next couple of weeks. But you got to understand, when the Lord called you to Himself, He called you to ministry, and that's going to go beyond your own family. And I'm looking at some faces that's really getting that done in this building. So no, Paul's ministry doesn't define your ministry. Phoebe's ministry may not define your ministry. But I want you to get a hold of the reality. The life of Christ is the life of service and ministry. You're not the special one that got called to salvation and got to sit down. No one got that. We got the call to Christ and the call to serve. And that looks different for every one of us, but it is for every one of us. Let me give you a, a married couple. This is probably all of our favorite married. Look at verse 3. Paul's going through all these names. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers. How about that in Christ Jesus? Who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also, notice, all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. You're like, what in the world did they do? I don't know. But look what's going on in verse 5 where they are in Rome right now. Greet the church that is in their house. How about that? How about that for a married couple? You think you need a special thumbs up for the elders to do that? No? No? No, you don't. You need an ordaining to be able to, no, no you don't. It, it doesn't say that they were serving as pastors. It says they provided their house for a church. I certainly wouldn't doubt that Prisca was the pastor. I don't know. But all it tells us is that they provided their house for the church. Go, go with me to Acts 18. Let, let's dig into these guys a little bit more because... Phoebe's mentioned once. These guys are mentioned in a number of places. These guys had a, had a ministry that, that reached into a number of places on the map. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1. So we're on Paul's second missionary journey in Acts 18. Now let me start in verse 1 and read down through verse 3. After these things, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. By the way, we're going to Corinthians next, so we'll get to catch up with Paul there. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they got kicked out of Italy there. Paul came to them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. And they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. So Paul goes down to Corinth and he meets this couple. And we're under the impression that it was at Corinth that he led them to faith in Christ. They were tent makers. So now we know their job. But we also begin to understand once they came to faith in Christ, it wasn't about their job anymore. 
they had their job and everywhere they moved, we're about to move with them to Ephesus. That's what they did for their financial well-being. They kept up with their business. But that's not what defined them as a couple. What defined them as a couple is their ministry and service to the church. Look over with me in chapter 18. Look at verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren, put out to sea for Syria. With him was Priscilla and Aquila. In Sucrea he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. Together, Paul and the couple came to Ephesus. He left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and began to do what Paul had been called to do, right? Verse 20, when they asked him to stay longer, he didn't consent, but taking leave of them, saying, I will return to you if the Lord wills. And he set sail away from Ephesus, leaving this couple behind. Look down in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, right? And he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted with only with the baptism of John. And when he began to speak out boldly in the synagogues, but Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then Apollos wanted to go across to Achaia. The brethren encouraged him, wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So they get dropped off by Paul. They leave with Paul, number one. Who does that? People who understand that not only they've been called to salvation, they've been called to service. They had the opportunity. They leave with Paul. They go down to Ephesus. What are they doing in Ephesus? Oh, they're serving in the church now. This guy, Apollos, which is probably the most gifted speaker in the Bible, whose problem is he doesn't fully understand things yet. And by the text, I'm assuming he doesn't know Jesus is the Christ. He's teaching about Jesus probably talking about his miracles and his ministry, but that's mentioned after the fact. So I'm assuming that he didn't really understand that he was the Messiah to come to deliver us from our sins. Whatever it was, who explained that to him? This couple. They just pulled him aside and said, hey man, we, we need to have a conversation, which I absolutely love because can you find anybody in the church today that's willing to be pulled aside and have the humility to be instructed and be corrected? I can't. I'm praying that the Lord work that in my own heart, but I'm looking around and all I see people is arguing about their position, what they hold to. That's all I see. But as it turns out, Apollos, again, the best speaker in the Bible, had enough humility in his heart to be pulled aside and for this couple who had been called to Christ and called to ministry, share with him things he needed to know in order to be faithful in his ministry of preaching. And so you've got them here, and as you go back to Romans chapter 16, man, this couple pops up again. Paul's writing this letter, and he says, you know, greet these two, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who, verse 4 of chapter 16, my life risked their own necks. What did they do there? I have no idea. To whom not only I do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And by the way, greet the church that is in their house. How about that? 
Is that what Phoebe's doing? No, that's not what Phoebe's doing. Was that what Paul was doing? No, that has nothing to do with what Paul's doing specifically. It's just what the Lord was doing in this couple's life. They had opened up their house. In fact, you can go through 16 sometime if you want. There's a lot of house churches, I think, that are mentioned. There's nothing mystical or magical about that. We don't need to close up the building and go into the house. It, it, it's just of necessity during those days. And I'm convinced that one day it will be of necessity once again. So the question is, you know, we're going to your house this week? Matter. We're going to Caleb and Andrew's next? I mean, where are we going next week? It will just be of absolute necessity. But as servants of the church, we'll be like, yeah. I mean, my house is not big. We can have it in the yard. We did it at Jeremy and Hannah's one time. It's just who they were. They understood, they understood that following Christ just meant that defined all of life for me. It wasn't about can we. It was just about how are we going to get this done. Because we have to get it done. I can't not mention my favorite. Go, go with me to 1 Corinthians. Go to the right. We're going to be there anyway, right? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. This is my favorite family. Priscilla and Aquila is running a close second. But this one right here, man. This guy gets me. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, meaning they were the first family to come to Christ. Notice what they've done in the way of ministry. They have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Now this is that word hupotasso without the prefix, so it's just the word tasso. And it means that Stephanus arranged his entire family around the ministry and purpose of taking care of the needs of the saints. And you're like, what did that look like? I have no idea. We just devoted ourselves to this purpose. We understood that our call to Christ was a call to service. And so as far as my house is concerned, as a dad, Stephanus would say, my wife and my kids, we, we've just devoted ourselves to serving the needs of the saints. That's what we do. We've had the blessed privilege and opportunity of that in the past in, in ways that I don't even remember. I found a book the other day. It's not a book that the Carols would have bought. If you had seen who written the book, you would have prodded me about it. Uh, we were cleaning out a drawer, found it, saw the author. I went and took it to my wife, and I'm like, explain, please. And she said, do you remember the old missionaries that stayed at her house? And I was like, no. She said, yeah, you do. They came through town or whatever, didn't have a place to stay. Yeah, our kids were there, but so what? We can arrange kids. We got a bedroom for you. And so, I, I don't know, just a couple of days, I guess, they stayed with us. Don't remember their names. 
Don't even remember their faces, but I'm pretty convinced that I do remember. But after they stayed, they were appreciative, so they'd bought us a book and they gave it to my wife, and so we keep the book. But I say all that to say we just had an opportunity to minister to the saints. I don't care who you are, where you're from. Don't even care where you're going. I just understand that you love Christ and you're serving Christ in some country and you're passing through town and you've wound up not even having a place to stay. I have a place to stay for you. That's like Stephanus here. And by the way, while I'm there, you know, you got Priscilla and Aquila who've given their home for the purpose of the church being able to meet. You've got Stephanus who gave his household in devotion to the ministry. You need to understand that your home is your place of ministry, your primary place of ministry. And I'm so thankful that so many of you have grabbed a hold of that idea, but I want all of you to grab a hold of that idea. That home of yours is so effective in getting ministry done. I know you're already doing ministry because I see all these little heads around here. And that's a ministry you, you better be successful at. But you need to understand if you have a home, you got a place for ministry. And you need to understand that your call to Christ was a call to service and you've been given the facilities to do ministry. And whether that's a meal or a night stay or whether that's just sitting by the couch and, and sipping on some tea, it does not matter. You need to understand that your place is a place of ministry. And as a Christian, I encourage you to vote that place for that very purpose. But you got all kinds of people. Go back to Romans 15, um, 16, really. And look with me. You got Phoebe in 1 and 2. You got Priscilla and Aquila in verse 3. You actually have 29 names here. I'm not going to mention all 29. Look at verse 6. Romans 16, verse 6. Greet Mary. Well, who's Mary? I don't know. Look what he says. Who has worked hard for you. What did she do? I have no idea. Look at verse 9. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Don't know what he did. Look at verse 12. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, workers in the Lord, greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard. Worked hard in the Lord. You see, whoever these people were, I'm convinced that at some point in their life they had passed through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And they understood, well, Paul certainly knew them well, right? But being under his ministry, you're going to understand that the call to Christ is the call to service. And so when you read all these names, you're going to find working hard, working hard, working hard, working hard, working hard, working hard. Because the guy that probably won them to faith had spent his whole life working hard. But whatever your ministry is, whatever that looks like, I have no idea. I do want you to understand that the object of it will always be other people, right? It's always other people. It, it brings us together in relationship that's not just defined physically, that's defined personally and spiritually. Paul's never been to Rome, and yet when you read Romans chapter 16, you're going to find 29 names here of people that he knew and relationships that had been built over time. 
If you remember, you don't have to turn back there. I'm about to refer to a verse in, in chapter 15. But when he began Romans, this is what Paul said. I long to see you, right? So that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Now, I don't remember the context of those people visiting our house at that particular time, but I do know that that took place at the dinner table. I do know that when Jody visited the house the last time that he came through town, we sat at the dinner table for, I don't know, a couple of hours, and we just shared things that wound up encouraging us both. I do know that Tyler and Wallace just came through town, they came over to our house for dinner and we sat at the table and what Paul's after and one that I may be encouraged together with you while among you that absolutely took place. You see what that does as you devote yourselves to the ministry of people? You build relationships that are going to last for all eternity and it's there to be an encouragement to you as you walk along. We've got relationships with a couple that lives in Thailand. And you got a really good relationship with them. So good, in fact, that if you pop up in Thailand and, they, and you cross their radar, you'll be staying at their house that night. And you'll be eating dinner with them. And it's not because they're your cousins. It's simply because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. You see what this ministry does. You see what this call does. It begins to build and shape a life of tremendous beauty. And tremendous love and tremendous relationship. There is no better life. And I think about that as, as Paul says, you know, I, I got to get to Spain, but I'm coming through. I got to see you. But right now I'm going down to Jerusalem. But for the time being, let me write this letter and tell you how much I love you and how much I really want to see you. And, and by the way, he says, let me share some plans with you. Look. Look with me at verse 24. Let me go through his plans and his needs real quick. And I just want to make mention of this because he's telling the church this. He said, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, now I'm going to Jerusalem to serve the saints. Verse 26, here's what's going on now. Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. They were indebted to them. For if the Gentiles are shared in the spiritual things, they're, they're, they're indebted to minister to them of the material things. Therefore, when I have finished and put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul says, I know what it's going to be like when I actually get there and see you. But I'm going to stop off on my way to Spain. Does he make it to Spain? Never makes it to Spain. Does he make it to Rome? Yeah, you know how he makes it to Rome? In chains. It's not the way I was planning to go. I was planning to go to Rome and stay over at the Hancock's house, but that didn't work out because after I left there, I was going over to Spain or Thailand to preach the gospel. That didn't work out. But you understand this is the Christian life. We make plans. 
And it's perfectly okay to do so. But we also understand that God's sovereign over those plans. And if He changes those plans, that's perfectly fine because I still have my relationships and I still have this ministry through which I am serving the saints or those within the church. Ministry didn't change. I'm making plans to go here and accomplish that ministry, but that might get changed. But it doesn't matter. It didn't matter for Priscilla and Quilla because wherever they found themselves, they did ministry. And ultimately, Paul would say the same thing. It doesn't matter where I find myself. I'm going to do the very thing that I've been called to do. And so not only does he share the plans, but he shares the needs. Again, look back at verse 28. He says, Therefore, whenever I finished, I put my seal. I will go on by way of you to Spain. Which is the word propimpo, by the way, which I got in an argument with with a missionary organization. I got angry over that word. They took that word to mean financial assistance only. In fact, one of the guys had written his, his doctoral thesis on that word and how Romans was a fundraising letter. That's when I got mad. That's when I got mad. I'm like, you don't understand Paul. You've forgotten that he wouldn't take a dime from Corinth. They didn't understand the gospel well enough for him to ever take money from Corinth, right? No, he would take it from the church at Philippi because Philippi really understood. And so he was like, yeah, it's okay taking a little money from Philippi, but I'm not going to take it. Man, let me tell you something. Propimpo has so much more than that. It has the idea of fellowship. It has the idea of going with me. It has the idea of escorting me. It has the idea of taking care of all my needs. What did we do when Tyler and Wallace came to town? Hopefully we provided everything. That's the idea and that's what takes place within these relationships that are formed through the gospel ministry. And I think that's what Paul was driving at when he says, I hope that you'll help me with my need. What's your need? I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there. But the church is like, yeah, we'll absolutely take care of it, whatever it is. And you're on your way to Spain? Love to take care of that. We'll do everything that we can do to get you to Spain. In fact, some of us, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, they went to Ephesus with you. So I'm sure there's a couple in the church that's going to want to go to Spain and help you along that way. That's what this word is about. But this is the life, the Christian life. This is the life of ministry, right? And so since that's the Christian life and that's Christian ministry and the object of Christian ministry is people, then let me ask you a question what is the heart behind Christian ministry? What's the attitude? Notice verse 14 of Romans 15. He says there, Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. What I'm driving at is this. The heart of Christian ministry is love and encouragement. You look at Romans 16 and you go through that list and you see all that they're doing and you're like, yeah, I could totally say that. I, I could totally say verse 14. I would totally be good with that. 
Evidently, they're filled with goodness. Evidently, they're filled with knowledge. Evidently, with the, all the churches there, they're able to admonish one another. So I could totally say that, but that's not the reason Paul said that. Turn probably one page to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and notice with me at verse 4. Notice how Paul begins this letter. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in Christ in all speech and in all knowledge even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you're not lacking in any gift but waiting eagerly for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about that letter, your probably first reaction is, now that's a bizarre thing to say. Because if there was any dysfunctional church, we're about to get into that dysfunctional church. Corinth, I always like to say, was a train wreck. So you, 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 you hear Paul say that, and you're like, why are you thankful for them? I'll tell you why Paul was thankful for them just as much as he was thankful for all the churches at Rome. Because for Paul, it was the grace of God that made all the difference. You need to understand that this life that we have in Christ is about ministry, it is about people, but it is a lot about love and encouragement as well. And what makes all the difference is not what you're doing, but the grace that you've come to know in the Lord Jesus Christ. I started crying when we were singing because I was singing with y'all. My love for you guys have grown so much over the last 10 years, and it's not because of what you're doing. It's because of the grace that you've received in Christ. I love you because you love Christ. That's why it didn't matter wherever Paul was, Paul could be encouraging and filled with love. And we've got to be real careful, and I'm speaking to the elders right now more than anybody else. We've got to be real careful with our attitudes. As parents, you've got to be real careful with your attitudes. Because your kids are not always going to do right. They're not always going to get hit home runs. They're going to do disappointing things. They're going to say disappointing things. But will your love for them fade? Not at all. Will your encouragement to them fade? It should not. Why? Because they belong to you. So the encouragement doesn't go anywhere. The love doesn't go anywhere. So when we bring that reality in the church, my encouragement and my love for you doesn't need to go anywhere. Even when you fail and fumble and fall into sin and struggle and do all those things you shouldn't do and shouldn't say, because my love for you is based on grace. My love for you and, and my encouragement to you should be based on what Christ has done in you and not what you're doing for Christ. Oh, I will encourage you in those things and I will admonish you and Paul would, would do that as well. But the heart, the very heart is always one of encouragement and love and consideration because of Christ and for no other reason. We need to make that connection because our gospel is solely based on grace and grace alone. Therefore, as ministers of the gospel, our affection for people needs to be based on grace and grace alone. 
That's why we love. I don't love Rob more because he gets more done. I don't love Sarah more because she does everything right. I love them both because they love Christ. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's my attitude toward them. And that should always be our attitudes within the church. See, there's so much here. And I could go on and on, but i got to quit. I'm going to end on grace because I want, I, I've, I've put all this stuff in you, but I don't want you to dare think that you're about to go out of here and get all this stuff done. You're, you'll be wrong if you think that because you'll have missed something that Paul had already said because Christ accomplishes everything. I told you to open up your home. I do ask you to open up your home. But you know who will get that done and who will do the ministry within it? It will be Christ. I, I told you to, to, to give your life to, to the service of Christ. You know who will get that done? It won't be you. It will be Christ. Let me show you what I'm talking about. And I'll finish on this. Um, let me start in verse 18. Paul says in 15:18, "I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me." And so you look at the life of the apostle Paul and you're like, "Dude, you didn't stop. Oh, I, I didn't stop. You got so much done. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you said that wrong. What do you mean I said that wrong? You, you said I got so much done. No, you, you missed it. You missed how grace works. You see, the grace that encountered me on the road to Damascus and the grace that called me into ministry is the same grace that's accomplished every part of my ministry. I have not done anything. Everything that has been done has been done by Christ, through me. I, I watched Cody yesterday. He's got skill sets, man. I sent him on a hard job. Left him alone to it. He ran to Home Depot, got a tool, came back. Thing looks like we paid $300 to a plumber to get that thing fixed. And it probably took him, I don't know, 15 minutes. That's what this is. I'm just a tool that the Lord picked up at Home Depot. I'm just an instrument. I'm just a willing tool to be used by the Lord. And by the grace of God, He accomplishes the work while I'm in His hand. That's it. So we need to stop this business of thinking, these things are above me, these things are beyond me. I, I look at them or I look at them and I think, man, they get so much done. Don't do that. You're missing grace. Now that we've got grace hammered into you about your salvation, I want to hammer the same grace into you about your ministry and service. Kim, you're already doing things. I don't even know what all you're doing. You're getting them done at home, though, because you've already brought forth food, fruit from one of your own, your own children. Right? You've got three more to go. Three more boys to go, right? Two more boys to go. I've got three over here. I've got two over here. <laughs> I don't know what all you're doing, but I want you to understand 
life in Christ is about service to Christ. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this this morning is because you guys have really got to be careful. You're in a peculiar position. Those kids are young. And they consume all of your time. And if you're not careful, you're going to lose sight of what life is all about. It's not about them. You need to understand that, and you need to teach them that, that life is not all about you. we got a church full of people that thinks everything's about them. And I'm not talking about this church. You as parents have got to understand in all your business, trying to do all this stuff for all these kids, you've got to teach them and model for them. Life is not about you and your stuff. Life is about Christ and what He has, His kingdom. Which means you're ultimately going to have to forego some stuff in order that it can always be about Christ. And if you'll raise them that way and they lay hold of the idea that life is not about me, then they're already set up for life because they'll understand that life is about Christ and service and ministry to Him. And I've got to start talking a lot more about this. I know I said I'll quit. I'm about to quit. I told Jeremy yesterday, I've got to get you people ready for dying. You're like, what in the world are you talking about? Oh, listen, if your life is not about Christ, death is going to be awful. It's going to be tragic. But if you've made life about Christ, you'll see death as the last, greatest display of grace in this life you've ever had. Because He will stop in one moment the sin and the suffering and the sorrow. And in that same moment, He will welcome you into glory. And if your life is about Christ and the ministry of Christ, that will be the most joyful experience of grace you've ever had. But if you made it about yourself, and you made it about your job, and you made it about these kids, and you made it about your family, death is going to be horrible. Because everything that you made it about, you're about to be removed from. And there'll be nothing but weeping. But if you've not put it here, and you've put it there, oh, it's going to be very different. It's going to be all about praising. So what I've done this morning, and I'm done, is I threw a lot at you. But I really need to get you to thinking. Because I know some of you are waterboard guys, some of you are managers, and some of you, does Cody even have a job? Some of you are engineers. I'm just kidding, Cody. There's so much in here. But you need to understand... What you're doing is is just a means to an end. The end is Christ and service to Christ. And you, as a dad or as a single woman, have got to figure that out. What that looks like. Because your call to Christ was a call to the service of Christ. Let's pray.